1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar and ESPN's Courtney Cronin along with you. Question for you, Courtney. When you go on Sports Center, what was the first question that they asked you about Bears and Vikings for this week?
0: Probably how cold it is outside where when I'm currently standing. Uh, Getting ready to relay some information about the first round by they are so desperately seeking, but got to make sure that people know how cold it is here first, because it is is. Minnesota. And I know it's a foreign concept um, to everybody watching that it snows here and that one thing I've kind of realized, even when it snows, it doesn't necessarily bring the temperature up. I'm kind of used to you know, going skiing Colorado. I don't know if it's just the altitude out there, but usually when it snows, if you're getting a heavy powder day, it's slightly warmer. It doesn't apply to Minnesota, where it was still seven degrees during my first live hit this morning as the snowflakes were falling so quietly on the ship behind me.
1: Um, The only, that's ship, you said. I Uh, said ship, yes. The only issue I have, I don't mind cold and I don't mind snow. Uh, I've lived in cold and snow in each place that I've lived. What bothers me is the roads. Yeah. When you have an opportunity to salt and you know that it's coming or get plows out there and you don't do it and it takes me forever to drive somewhere, that's what drives me crazy. But outside of weather takes, what's the biggest storyline that we have between the Vikings and Bears this week?
0: Well, one team is playing for, as Adam Thielen says, there's always something to play for in the NFL. So maybe they're playing for jobs. Maybe they're playing to see – you know how Mitchell Trubisky has command against the team that he started out his NFL career against but on the flip side of that you have a Vikings team playing for a first round bye and as Kyle Rudolph said it's two wins if you get this win against the bears on Sunday you get the next week off you know you're still practicing but you don't have a game you're sitting at home watching the wild card round and then you begin your fate in the in the divisional round January 13th and you know or 14th so I think that's so critical because when you take a look at how many six seeds, I mean, it has been done, but there aren't that many six seeds that have made it to the Super Bowl, um, you know, in recent years, in the last decade, at least. I mean, I think that's something that's so important to why Mike Zimmer said, it's not about momentum, throw momentum out the window, which I think is a very football coach thing to say, even though guys in the locker room are like, yeah, momentum's great. Um, but it's, you know, that's why this is must win because it's, you know, you win here and you set yourself up like you basically are giving yourself as Case Keenum said it's basically like winning a round at the playoffs without actually doing it
1: I really enjoy when players or coaches are asked questions about momentum because it's almost asking them what they think of dragons or unicorns or some other magical force that doesn't really actually exist well
0: maybe the clutch question could kind of go in that same thing now
1: clutch at least is provable at least you can look at situations with certain players over a period of time and see well yeah actually this guy's batting average was better when he had runners in scoring position or yeah this quarterback Teddy Bridgewater has really good numbers uh, late in games or when you're down one score so maybe it's not exactly some magical force that overtakes him but he doesn't choke. He doesn't fall apart when situations are big. You can see that. It's a cliche, but I think that there's reality in that. With momentum, there is not some magical sweeping wind that comes over a team. It's just... You're playing good or you're not playing good. And when you look at the last Bears game, for example, I mean, I think it's a turning point of the season. Yeah,
0: for sure it's a tipping point.
1: I don't think it gave them some magical momentum. I think that at that point they won a game in Soldier Field when they hadn't won one before, and Case Keenum proved that he could come in and win a big game. So I don't think it's necessarily momentum, but more of they figured out how they can properly use Case Keenum to win games.
0: Well, and confidence. That certainly built confidence because that was the start of an eight-game win streak. And what you saw in that game is the grinded out win. They, they can do that. They found out there are ways when Stephon Diggs is rendered useless in that second half because he sustained a groin injury you find out, hey, Jarek McKinnon's great out of the backfield. He can, that 58-yard, at least 58-yard touchdown run. I mean, he was tremendous that game. Kyle Rudolph starting to see his effectiveness go up. I mean, that's the first game we saw Jeremiah Searle's go in pretty late but that was what started saying hey this is we have a really good veteran you know swing man right here who can fill in a number of spots when Nick Easton went down and it's now going to have to do it again going forward they found out more about themselves in that game than I think they did any other game this year I think we talked about it yesterday on the show that you know some of the top moments of 2017 for this team I think it's a tie between the Rams game And the Bears game, the Bears game, as I said, tipping point of their season, the Rams game brought them into the national picture of Super Bowl contenders. But they learned more about themselves and what they're honestly capable of in that game. And if you want to say momentum swung them forward, or maybe it was just confidence that, hey, you know, some breaks are going to go our way, some breaks are not. And obviously the next week they had a very nice sizable break go their way when Aaron Rodgers went out of the game. So, um, you know, is that a anti-momentum thing for the Packers? I think I think the argument of momentum. I mean, it's a cool thing to talk about. Like, man, they're riding the wave right now. But can you can you prove that? I don't know. I think it's just more of a you know, where's take the temperature of the locker room and see how guys feel.
1: Well, the thing that makes me laugh about the momentum conversation is mike zimmer has also said several times that losing the game in carolina woke the team up so wait a minute you had momentum you lost momentum but it was good that you lost momentum because you woke up at losing the momentum and then you got the momentum back when you whooped cincinnati who didn't feel like playing and then you also whooped another team that didn't have any players like okay i just can't figure this out what it actually means but as far as you breaking down the turning point Uh, you're exactly right. And something you touched on there where they had to bring in Jeremiah Searles on the offensive line, there have been a handful of times where they've had to shuffle Mm -hmm. with the offensive line this year. Riley reef misses a game. Mike Remmers misses a couple games. Easton missed a couple games. Now Easton's out for the rest of the year. Searles going to have to go in, but Pat Elfline is also battling a shoulder injury. Riley reef is still dinged up with his ankle and now I think there's reason to be concerned with Easton being out and that shoulder injury kind of lingering mm-hmm. for Pat Elfline. And it adds to the reason that they really need this first round by. Because
0: everything we've heard, all indications point to that not being a new shoulder injury. Mm-hmm. Everything that, you know, we're hearing now is that that's still, because he was able to come back. He misses the Carolina game, has played the last two games, but is still battling through it. So, whether he we we talked to Joe Berger a little bit about it yesterday um you know should should elfline not be able to go that I think is your primary concern for why you need this first round buy so badly because they made it a point last week to say they're not gonna bring in any they're not planning to bring in any you know guard tackle swingman combo people so you know, if Joe Berger has to fill in there, you know, then where does Mike Remmers go? You know, could he go, he could obviously play a guard spot and then what are you going to do with that tackle spot? Obviously Rashad Hill goes back there. And then if Riley Reef, you know, by all accounts, assuming, you know, he's healthy, you know, so there's a lot of shuffling. And I think that this is why that it brings back, I think it conjures some memories for people of the 2016 season because it's all happening at once. It feels like that because, you know, week five through seven, one injury you're dealing with. Remmers, week eight through, what, 13, one, or 12, one injury you're dealing with. Um, Riley Reef middle of the game, after you're already missing two guys, things just kind of felt like a domino effect. So to me, the first round buy is most pivotal for the most pivotal part of this team to get them healthy.
1: And I think their success on offense uh, with, with the talent that they have. At the skill positions, of course, has been a big reason for their success. But it's also been right in the middle with Pat Mm Elfline and Nick Easton, too. Uh, Missing Easton, I think, hurts when it comes to the screen and short passing game. And Mike Zimmer, too, brought up when I asked him about it, just getting out to those linebackers, getting out to those safeties when they're run blocking. This team had a stretch of four or five games in a row where they had runs over 30 yards, just handoffs to Latavius Murray that went up the middle, and he had big gains, uh, which you mentioned that 58-yard run in Chicago. That was Nick Easton flying out there and hitting a linebacker using his quickness. Jeremiah Searles doesn't have that same type of quickness. He's more of a big power guy and sort of the Alex Boone mold of his size. I think it could affect what they do on offense.
0: Yeah, and I mean, with Elfline, too, I mean, you talk about that athleticism, and I remember there were certain, I think, twice in the Chicago game, as was an ineligible man, an eligible receiver downfield. I mean, he's gotten better at that. Um, I think he was like 20 yards past uh, on that Jarek McKinnon run, but they've done some really cool things in the screen game. I think back to, you know, how effective they were at that two weeks ago against Cincinnati. I mean, right out the gate. Pat Elfline, you know, is follow Latavius Murray is following Pat Elfline for about 10, 15, you know, 10 yards there um, before breaking off that big run. And same thing on the 41 yarder uh, for Jarek McKinnon, I believe, in the second half. So to me, it's so critical for what they've been doing on offense and to not have to change that game plan um, to be able to get a guy like that back. because You, you know, everybody follows what Pat Elfline's doing. They go to the left if he's going to the left. They go to the right if he's going to the right. It's part of the zone-blocking scheme. So, to me, that is your most critical injury that you're trying to shore up. And, obviously, getting other guys healthy, too, matters.
1: And he's uh, made progress. At least he told me that he's made a lot of progress in being quick and making reads at the line of scrimmage and just getting comfortable being an NFL player but a reason to be concerned with the shoulder I don't think it's just rest because after the Packers game when we all walked in uh, I wanted to talk to the offensive line about having to kind of grind out that game uh, when they weren't hitting the big plays downfield and they had to slam into the Packers defensive line with Murray a bunch of times Um, so I was standing there waiting for them and Joe Berger was having to help Pat Elfline take his pads off because he couldn't use his shoulder really and then once he finally got it off he was having trouble tying his shoes so, like that shoulder is certainly going to be an issue resting him this week is a great idea not forcing him to play uh, when you can beat the bears without him mm-hmm. but if you're talking about that injury lingering into the playoffs and having him miss time having joe berger move over then you are looking at a bit of a situation like last year you feel better about the backups but you also think if you've got to play a really good defensive line in the playoffs, that could be a pretty major issue. And and we've talked all along about how Keenum needs a lot to go his way in order for him to be as good as he is. And in the Packers game, I thought to some extent he showed that when some things weren't working as well as they usually do. The running game uh, early on was not picking up huge chunks of yards, and then Easton gets hurt. They, I uh, think, McKinnon had one catch, and mm-hmm. usually, for nine yards. yeah, usually he's getting more than that. Where you can drop it off to him and have him run after the catch, and when opposing teams take away the runners out of the backfield from Case Keenum and force him to make throws down the field, that's where I think the Vikings have a little bit of a weakness that they've covered up with a really good offensive line.
0: Yeah, and they, I mean, they had to work for their yards. Against you know their rushing yards against the Packers and that's just why it was so ineffective. I mean, we knew moving the ball through the air was going to be tougher because of the cold, but you never really anticipated. Was it
1: cold last week? I don't it recall. Was pretty bad. Any, hmm. you know? Nobody mentioned that anywhere. Uh, yeah, now.
0: I mean it's uh, but but I think that you you look at what what else they were able to do. I mean, I think Stefan Diggs' performance can't go you know can't be understated enough. Um, you know, overstated. Wait, what's the word there? Understated, overstated, whatever.
1: I'd say overstated. Can't be talked
0: about enough. I mean, I think that that was you know relatively quiet day for Adam Thielen. Running backs were struggling, and I mean, even catching passes, they were they were pretty. Fec- they weren't able to start much of a screen game. So whether that got snuffed out, regardless, like it just wasn't happening. So he needs. Case needs that offensive line to be at full strength because everything he's done so far gets ten times harder if Alf line's not in there, if he's not, you know, pulling immediately and getting out to the perimeter and helping a Latavius Murray um, you know, break off big chunks of yardage, because that's how they've been able to beat teams before. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, the effectiveness of the run game after Dalvin Cook went down the season ending ACL tear has been able to stay so effective. It's the screen game. Taking you know a, a you know a quick pass out to Jarek McKinnon forty one yards or you know Latavius Murray your bulldozer going through you know the B gap and being able to pick up big chunks of yardage on the ground. Uh,
1: one thing real quick because I want to ask you some more Bears related questions. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephon Diggs I think has had a phenomenal season and his fantasy numbers are down. But this is why you should not grade people by fantasy numbers. Kyle Rudolph's fantasy numbers, also down. But I think Kyle Rudolph has had the best season he's had in a a while in terms of what he is actually bringing to the offense. And here's an example of how you can use sort of your traditional stats mixed with things like pro football focus. The pro football focus grades for Thielen and Diggs are almost exactly the same because they just grade every throw that goes in their direction and what happens after that. Diggs can't control whether case Keenum is throwing him the ball a little more or a little less he can't control that he had a groin injury either but when he's been at full health I think he's been just as effective they average almost the same yards per catch same catch percentage and we saw Thielen's numbers go down a bit when Stefan Diggs uh, was not in the game or when he was slowed against the Bears but especially in that Ravens game Thielen did not have an explosive game and uh His value is, I think, just as high. I think they are still very much 1A, 1B. I don't think because all the major outlets have done Thielen stories that that makes him better.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. Did you know he went to Mankato?
1: Wow, really? Is he, like, from the state of Minnesota, too? Yeah. Wow, did he, like, have an internship with a dentistry, and then he decided to try out for the... Vikings, I even made a joke to Adam Thielen about this, and yeah. he's very... I can't
0: wait until the postseason. Oh, boy. And when... There's a flood coming. There's... The, the gates are going to open, and that... You know, poor thing. He's going to have to talk about this again and, and again and again.
1: The funny thing about that, and he's been great, and we knew he was great.
0: He was the winner of our uh, Corey Stringer Good Guy Award. It was presented as plaque yesterday. I
1: think in major part because he was very patient with every national outlet that wanted to talk to him every single week about being from Mankato and giving the same answers to those people and still doing the local stuff with us that he didn't um, tune out everybody else just to talk to sports Illustrated or whatever else. So he was deserving of that. Uh, But, in, in terms of how he's played, I think he's been the same player as he was last year, which is really, really good. I don't think anything is different. It's just the spotlight has turned on him since Diggs had the injury and missed a couple weeks. But th- there are stories all over this team that are similar in a way. Stephon Diggs is a fifth-round draft pick who had all sorts of concerns about his injuries. But everyone knew he was talented, but the injuries were a question. And you have guys on the defense, Tom Johnson, Andrew Sandejo, guys who have their own great stories too. But Thielen just seems to be the one they've latched onto and will just shake it until it's dead. Yeah, with him.
0: well, and I mean, obviously the only thing that's one of the biggest things that's different for him this year is teams are actually game planning for him. People see that the speed is not just a smokescreen. Um, he's very good at getting open and he can do it in a number of ways. I mean, this is something I remember talking to Stefan Diggs about this really early on in the season, just kind of learning the team um, and learning, you know, the back and forth role from from X to the slot to, you know, moving back outside and all of that. The good thing with this team is they've never flushed out a solid set role. Like this is what you do, and you do this well. You're going to continue to be the slot receiver. You're going to make, you know, that's we're going to run these routes with you. That's why I think they're both so good and, and why they both, you know, despite the injury and despite maybe a quieter game from Thielen, why they both are still up there in the upper echelon of receivers because they're so talented at doing a number of things and because, well, you know, Pat Shermer has been able to capitalize on that versatility um, in realizing you know, situational downs, where, the, where they both are going to be used. I mean, Thielen is, there, is the go-to guy on third down. Jarius Wright, you can throw in the he's Always good for a good third down catch. Stephon Diggs is your deep threat. Kyle Rudolph's your red zone guy. I mean, there's... Those type of roles, I think, have been more defined instead of where they line up. Um, you know, in in there's no it's no secret that Thielen has been the most targeted receiver this season, but I think it's because of the Diggs injury. I think it could have very easily swung the other way.
1: And I think it's because of the focus on Diggs, too. That well, sure. Teams
0: but teams are also still starting to t- have been doing that for weeks now with
1: Thielen. and. You just can't guard both. I mean, I was talking to Diggs for a piece last week or two weeks ago about that same topic, about lining up in different places, mm-hmm. and he was talking about when teams bring down a safety to the line of scrimmage, it's just over they, because it leaves those two one-on-one, and the over-the-top safety can only go in one direction, and whoever he leaves open is going to come down with the ball if they if they go that way. And, and there's no good way to shut them down because if there was one weakness that Thielen had, it's it's by a weakness i don't mean big weakness i just mean if you were strategizing against him maybe you could stick him at the line of scrimmage if you're good at that and so pat Shermer has moved him i think i got the number 50 percent uh i asked pro football focus guy how often he's been lining up in the slot it's about half the time mm-hmm. and that's one way to keep corners away from being able to stick you at the line of scrimmage kind of speaks to the excellence of pat Shermer. that's um, future Bears head coach Pat Shermer. Hey,
0: I, I I I wouldn't be mad at it. I would pick the I would pick of all his vacancies that he's probably going to be considered for teams seeking an offensive minded guy. Have at it!
1: Don't you think that the Bears should be at the top of the list? Yes. I mean, I don't know all the teams that are going to fire their coach, but the Giants seem to be a little messy at mm-hmm. this point and they've got a a mega egotist wide receiver you're going to have to deal with, an aging quarterback you're going to have to deal with, no offensive line. The Bears have a pretty good-looking young quarterback, good offensive line, two good running backs, and a defense that's top 10 in yards in both passing and running that will have a lot of pieces that will play next year. That seems like a team that will be competitive or maybe even the version of what we saw from the Rams taking the big jump forward.
0: If I had to choose, if I had to give you three right now and rank them, probably be well, – we said off-air Bears would be in top three. Let's put them at number one.
1: Cincinnati, Cincinnati, and Cincinnati. No, I'm just well, kidding. They're last. I would never want to be Cincinnati's coach with where they stand. Not right
0: now. not now. Like maybe after four or five years, complete overhaul and, you know, bringing in big-time big free agents. But, all right, so number one – who did I say number one? Bears number one, Giants number two, <sighs> if – Maybe I'd throw Tampa Bay in there at three, given the weapons that he'd have. But when you see the Dirk Cotter, Jameis Winston, and how far they've fallen in their relationship, and just all that under a microscope, I feel like there's a lot of toxicity within that organization right now that he may not want to be part of. He's got a gr- he would have a great situation in Chicago, a second year quarterback, an offensive line that's pretty been pretty good. All things considered, you know, a scat back system with uh, Jordan Howard and Terrick Cohen and you know being able to capitalize on that I mean obviously the Vikings this week have the receiver advantage there's no there's no doubt there but go to the draft bring in a few pieces and and this offense is looking pretty good next year and I think that that's that's where I would go I mean the Giants is also intriguing to market um, you know what you have in the future there with a guy potentially like Davis Webb, deciding you know where Eli Manning ends up if he stays there, if he Josh doesn't. Rosen, I
1: think, right? Yeah, and I Don't mean you think that's they're going to draft him,
0: probably, potentially. That name's been thrown around, and there's just so many opportunities. I think within those two teams that he's almost certainly going to get a call.
1: I agree with you on Tampa Bay. Um, that there's some things to like about them, and it seems like they're going to fire Dirk Cutter, Cutter, whatever.
0: Feels like it.
1: It's unfortunate for a guy with such a cool name, Dirk Cutter. Uh, but I would not want to take over a team that's run by Jameis Winston. I think he's a mess, and even though he's got better fantasy stats this year, again, fantasy stats are not real football. Most of those That's stats... why I'm glad
0: it's over. That's why I'm glad I don't have to do a fantasy question this oh, week because yeah. it's, it's kind of nice where... We're legitimately only, only focusing on football from here on out.
1: I, I checked on this. Almost all of his passes this year have been playing from behind. And we saw him put up garbage time touchdown on the Vikings and a bunch of yards on the Vikings when they were way down. That's been his whole season. His, for his career, he's not very good. His career quarterback's rate, rating is in the 80s. He turns the ball over, whether it's fumble or interception, as much or more than anybody in the NFL. And then the other stuff, too. The question about leadership, with shoving the player
0: personnel guy out of the way to go like yell at the ref on. Do you see that on Sunday? Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. What are you doing? I mean, he's he's out of control in that situation, and the whole e to W thing where you saw kind of so how gross. his
0: gross. Like it, it, oh my god, I've I've seen that GIF and I think I, I've watched it a few times and I'm GIF? like this is GIF. Um, yeah. Well, he's so immature. I think reaction. that it's just like it hasn't nothing's it has not changed since he was drafted. We're seeing the same guy, same issues that he had in college with turning the ball over, find its way to the NFL and he's got so many playmakers at his at his uh you know disposal and and nothing.
1: I, yeah, I think he should have been a lot better considering who they brought in yes. for him. Uh, rather than just a bunch of garbage time stats. And that's where QBR will help us a little bit with the situational stuff. When a guy has a really good rating or good numbers, but his QBR is really low, you can probably figure that a lot of that happened when it wasn't important. And I think... We saw what he does when it is important the other day on the, uh, the strip sack there. I would not want to inherit that situation. It also seems like it's going to blow up with him too eventually. He was accused of groping an Uber driver, and he, I mean, he is a guy that I would never trust if I was taking a job. Plus, John Gruden's got that job wrapped up anyway. Um, so that, that would be one where I would say just from the outside with their roster, it might look good, but with that quarterback and you know you're stuck with him, If I'm Pat Shermer, I might say, no, I'll pass on that one. Chicago would be at the top of the list, and I think that would drive Vikings fans absolutely insane to lose the the, the offensive coordinator that has taken this offense from very poor in the first couple of years of Zimmer to really effective with a backup quarterback. And in general, I feel like football fans hate their team's offensive coordinator always. They always think the guy's running the wrong plays. they always think the guy doesn't know what he's doing. And in this case, Shermer is like the most loved guy in Minnesota.
0: <laughs> I don't think people would have really realized it too un- unless all of this stuff had happened the way I mean the way it p- played out once it was pretty apparent that Sam Bradford was not going to be coming back in the regular season. I mean, we, but take a look at week one people are like whoa this is this is polar opposite from last year obviously you know late second quarter on i think the first you know 22 23 minutes of the game you're seeing oh man dink and dunk once again but they opened up the playbook they've done so many dynamic things with the personnel they have at their disposal I would love to see what he would get out of a a guy like Deshaun Jackson because, you know, to me, Deshaun Jackson has been underutilized this year. Mike Evans could do so much more, and I just, you know, and that's no slight, in my opinion, on, um, you know, Todd Munkin. You know, I covered him at Southern Miss. I think he's a phenomenal offensive coordinator, so I'm obviously not going to throw the shade there. I think it's Jameis Winston. I think a lot of that is decision-making, and, if I'm an offensive minded coach, you need somebody to be on board with, you know, changing up what you're so what you've been used to for so long. Um and that to me, I just don't know if that would be the best fit. Also, another thing. Pat Schirmer is from Michigan. Has has family in Michigan. Um basically we're family, essentially, because my brother's ex girlfriend was in his daughter's sorority. So that basically puts me as like, you know, his twentieth cousin. I'm concerned so, now
1: about your bias. I'm
0: totally biased. You,
1: you really should have revealed that uh, yeah. when you started this podcast. I should you have. Basically related to Pat Schirmer. I mean, it's so, so you're thinking Detroit is possibility there too.
0: I mean that that job is probably going to open. So that's something I think people need to look past because, like, look at all the ties of you know where he's from, where he's coached before. I mean, I think it's I think. You know, if we're thinking outside of the football, I think he would want to stay in the Midwest. Um, considering there are so many coaching opportunities, not the one that he had before, because I don't think they're going to hire him again. Um, but within you know the the tri-state area, I guess of Ohio, uh, Michigan, and Chicago or Illinois.
1: And every time we talk about it, people ask, "Couldn't you just give him a lot of money to have him stay?" If he wants to go, if he wants to
0: be a head coach. Then he's going to go. Yeah, like in, in especially the the trend that we've talked about before of so many offensive minded guys being among the top candidates. I know that the the NFL put out their you know their their list of recommended candidates, and George Edwards was on there as well, and Pat Shermer was too. But I, that's why you're hearing I think Shermer's name pop up a lot more because I don't think especially with a guy like Edwards who hasn't been a head coach before and you know in the situation here running the defense since 2014 I think that it just what Shermer's done here in the sample size is a, makes him a much more attractive candidate for the trend that we saw last year with, with the Kyle Shanahan's of the world
1: and he was the offensive coordinator for Chip Kelly when they had mm-hmm. that big year when he's Chip an Kelly interim coach in.
0: there too for mm-hmm. a very short period of time
1: and he has kind of the the long history of being with Andy Reid before and uh, then in St. Louis too so the offensive coach. And being one of the top minds of the West Coast offense probably makes him pretty attractive, especially when everybody is going to short passes. It's like this Case Keenum offense. We talk about how often he throws short. There are almost only a handful of teams that even throw long regularly anymore Mm -hmm. who, who have a downfield offense. And if you're looking to make the most out of a young quarterback like Mitch Trubisky, that's probably a good place to start and then hit the big stuff when you get that opportunity. You mentioned um, week one, and Sam Bradford had the best game of his career, went absolutely bananas against the New Orleans Saints. It's a very good chance that the Vikings could eventually face the Saints again in the playoffs, depending on how things play out. And Mike Zimmer revealed that Bradford is going to come back to practice next week, which opens the door for him potentially being the backup quarterback in the playoffs. Would you prefer to have Sam Bradford or Teddy Bridgewater as your backup quarterback to Case Keenum in the playoffs?
0: Why, why don't they just make a roster move and keep four active? That's a joke. Um, just
1: <laughs> label him as a punter. <laughs> yeah. like Backup hunter.
0: Make a roster. Well, no. If 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 a certain long snapper is not ready to go, uh, you maybe. No, I'm not going to go there with Kevin McDermott. Shout you, you out. You could
1: keep them active, but who goes in the game if Case Can yes, gets I know. hurt?
0: I've been trying to. I'm just trying to avoid your question. I mean, we saw such a limited sample size of what Teddy Bridgewater could do, and that's why I think looking back weeks ago. The potential of them already have locked up. This game would have been meaningless. Would have been a perfect opportunity to get Teddy Bridgewater in there to start the game. Do I think we'll see him on Sunday at some point? If they get up big, yes. But you're also looking at an offensive line that could very easily be without its center. And I mean, you know, the shuffle. I know Mike Zimmer said there's absolutely no difference between Berger and line, but I'm sure. I'm sure to a quarterback who's you know getting ready to get the ball snapped to him there is a difference so I would say you know as it stands right now Bradford would probably be the better option just because he has played a full game this season um but I just we just don't know about the health of his knee what we do know with Teddy Bridgewater is he's healthy because we saw him out there um you know two weeks ago against the Bengals granted it was limited limited exposure for him but you know we either one of them is going to have rust i mean it's been 16 weeks since sam bradford i'm not going to even count the chicago game as him playing cuz that was just really sad and hard to watch um but you just you just wonder you know what he's been doing all this time in terms of like the knee like in, in making sure that it can hold up in game action to where we don't see a repeat of that but statistically speaking against these types of you know, the defenses that they could face, you know, it wouldn't be bad if they did, you know, as, as a backup to case Keenum, you know, to see some teams that he's played before potentially the new Orleans saints,
1: where I would be concerned about Sam is having a repeat of Chicago where he goes through all the things in practice and he says, yep, knees good to go. Okay, great. You're our backup because you had that amazing game in week one. And, Pat Shermer and you have this great relationship and the offense was really designed with you in mind. So you are the backup and then Keenum gets hurt or struggles really badly and you got to come in and the knee doesn't hold up and he reaggravates it. And then you're sitting there going, okay, now what do we do? Do we have Bridgewater active too? And then turn the ball over to him but you could still see a scenario where Bridgewater just has too much rust mm-hmm. and he comes out and gives them no chance if Case Keenum were to get hurt. Uh, the other way I might look at it is Bridgewater's been practicing this whole time and he's never shown up on the injury report. So he's probably got himself to the same level with the offense that everybody else is at this point and from practicing. And there's another thing with Bridgewater just historically – and I know that we're not talking about the same guy because he's had his knee reconstructed, but historically he's been a guy that does have the clutch stats that I mentioned. If you got into a big game or if you got into a situation where you were down a couple scores, Sam Bradford's career has been a lot of struggling in those situations, and it's one of the reasons that teams have moved on from him, not just the health. And Bridgewater's early career and in college was comebacks, big situations, big games coming through, and he's done it once already in the playoffs against Seattle. He just Mm -hmm. didn't get the field goal that he needed from 27 yards away, but he got the ball with a chance to drive and go win a game, and he came through with that against the Seahawks in the playoffs. That might make me lean a little bit in his direction because, like you said, they're both going to have a lot of rust.
0: Yeah, and that's – It's why I think it's so critical that he has to get in this game this weekend, just to be able to shake some of that off. And obviously you hope this is an emergency situation where Case isn't, you know, you get them the first round by, and then, you know, they open up against, you know, two teams. They will have had two weeks to prepare for, well, you know, they're going to start out preparing this coming week, this coming next week for, you know, either of the two teams that are going to be, in you know they're part of the bracket for the wild card game, but then it becomes situation. Where obviously, once that game's over, they've got one they've got one guy to prepare, one team to prepare for. So you're taking a look at, you know, how are they going to split up those reps in practice this week? What's the plan going to be? Um, I'm very curious to see how those reps come into play once Sam Bradford returns, which would be what, the third of January. That's eight weeks to the day um he was active he was put on IR. Do I think they're gonna activate him right then and there? I don't. Um you know, they don't have to, to be quite honest. They don't have to. He can still be in practice for that for that window. He could have come back to practice last week. So um you know, I just think that given I mean it's been a lot longer since Teddy Bridgewater played in a tight game situation on the line thrown into emergency situation i think having bradford i mean almost you know it's been it's been a, it's been a lot quicker You know, he's had a lot less time to let that rust sit in but i still think as we said there's going to be a ton of rust
1: and yeah, ne- neither guy is really prepared for that type of situation with what they've both gone through with the knees um, and i it would be a really really hard decision for mike zimmer he might lean toward teddy because teddy's just his guy I mean, Teddy has been his favorite quarterback (laughs) since he got here and wanted to be his franchise quarterback and never wanted to have a situation where they needed some other guy uh, to come in in a trade or come in in a signing, and that might make him lean toward Teddy and the fact that he's practiced that much. That's where I would put my bet that Teddy's the backup, but I I think that will be a tough situation if Bradford comes back to practice and looks like he's really good and looks like his uh, knee is ready to go. Let me ask you the same question that I've asked you now going on three weeks in a row. Any situation you could see where they don't win this game?
0: Barring any of those trick plays like they ran before. Barring Um,
1: five fake punts,
0: yeah. I mean, Jordan Howard is one of the few running backs that have had success against this defense, both him and Jonathan Stewart, so... If he has another day where he's going eighty, ninety yards, maybe. But I don't even think that. I mean, this is the number one, number one scoring defense. Number one, you know, defense overall at both in, in yards allowed and in points allowed. I just. It would either come down to I don't I don't even know if I'd put that as a scenario. It would have for me. It'd have to come down to something on the offensive line. Um, if line, which looks like he's not going to be able to go, if if he's not able to go, and then if there's you know some of those last minute shuffles, um, you know I, I'm not, I don't have any concern about Searle stepping in at left guard. I think it would just be how they'd fill in that spot um, at center with you know Berger moving over and then potentially Remmers moving to another guard spot. I think that would just be really tough. So if that would lead to maybe not getting the run game going, maybe some miscommunication between um, Keenum and the offensive line, that's the only way I could see them at least keeping the game close. I just I don't think they're going to lose this game.
1: Maybe if they can't run at all mm-hmm. and they just can't get their play-action game going. Um, we talked with Mike Zimmer a little bit about how Chicago mixes their coverage, but their main goal as a as a defense seems to be don 't allow big plays well
0: yeah that 's why they're so good on the back end this year as opposed to last year, and you know even still, we saw that in week five they didn 't allow a lot of big pass
1: plays right the The big run was it, but otherwise you had to kind of go dink and dunk down the field the same way Atlanta did. When when they were playing those deeper zones and not letting the wide receivers get behind them, so either you have to make those tough throws to the outside that Keenum doesn't make all that well, or you have to go underneath, 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 and they'll make you have a ten play drive in order to score. And if you can't run the ball and you've got to do that the whole time, the whole game, maybe you could be looking at something like a ten to seven mm-hmm. type of grinded out fest. But Chicago's missing a bunch of players on their defense, or at least a, a couple of impact players. Pernell McPhee is, is one of them. It's hard to see Mitch Trubisky doing enough to beat the Vikings with how good Mike Zimmer traditionally is against young rookie quarterbacks. He's good against great quarterbacks. He's got good numbers against Rodgers, and they shut down Matt Ryan. So against a rookie, I think he's going to give them all sorts of problems. But with this Chicago team, they are different than the last two teams they faced. Because they've got injuries, but they're not decimated like the Packers. And they seem to still care. From what I watched last week, them against Cleveland, them against even Detroit, they lost the game, but they played all the way to the end. They played hard. This team does seem to be either maybe playing for the future or playing to save their coach's job or they're excited about their quarterback. But they haven't just given up and said, okay, no reason to play anymore. So this isn't a team that I think is as easy to steamroll as, say, Cincinnati was.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're also probably not going to get the news that Fox is, well, it is week 17, Eh, I don't know. I mean, if they find out that he's fired before the game. Pat Trimmer
1: just walks over to the other (laughs) sideline and just stands there with a Chicago hat on. Hi, guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's... I'm their coach now. Well, I mean, that's what the 49ers did. I mean, when when last year they find out the Saturday night before that game that Chip Kelly was fired, and, you know, it was... To be expected. And I know that these players probably think that John Fox is out the door already because of, you know, this season and, you know, other circumstances. But I I think that you are going to see a little bit more of a fight because they can be tricky, as I said, with the trick plays. And, you know, that defense is not bad. Like, I think that defense has always kind of been the strength of, you know, especially this recent Bears team. I mean, Keem Hicks is a great player. Um, I don't think it's much of a. You know, when they said, we're not going to be the, the team that loses to the Browns, congrats. Congrats on your win. I mean, you you, you are perpetuating history in the NFL, maybe. But, um, you know, to me, it's I, – I think they've got a lot more to play for than a Bengals team that – uh you know it's already so downtrodden with how many players you know just the the skill level of their of their group and how many linebackers they didn't have going into that game where it was kind of like well whatever we're already playing from behind why even why even try was kind of how it felt i don't think the bears are like that i think it's a different makeup um and, and something's clicked with them this last part of the season i mean you take a look at their whole year they beat beat the Steelers, they they beat Carolina. I mean, they've had some really good wins. They know they can be good. They're just on the beginning stages of it.
1: And I counted six of their losses were within one score. Mm -hmm. And then they had the 10-point loss to Detroit, where a couple of interceptions kind of turned that one the wrong way, but they played hard against Detroit too. And so they're kind of a team that's why, if you're Pat Trimmer, you might want to be there because they appear to be on the cusp, and a team like that would have much more confidence – and would be playing harder than a team like Cincinnati that knows they're not going to be good for a long time. Um, before we wrap it up, our last podcast of 2017, what is your favorite moment so far of the two seven 2017 portion of the Minnesota Viking season? As we turn it over to 2018, the thing that you enjoy the most that could be funny, touching, emotional, joyful, doesn't matter.
0: Um, I guess kind of the element of surprise that we had here. Uh, we, every radio interview I go on, they start out the same way with, if I would have told you, you know, week three of the preseason that Case Keenum is uh, leading the Vikings to a first-round bye, you wouldn't have believed me, right? I'm like, of course not. So I think that that element, you know, as a microcosm of this entire picture and, and kind of where the Vikings are in terms of being, you know, the closest – Of any Super Bowl contender that's hosted the game in their own in their own stadium, I mean, they're on their way to a first round bye. As I said, I don't picture this being a loss. You take a look at the last two teams that have had as many wins, um, twelve. You know, the the Carolina, excuse me, the Arizona team. They were a wild card team, lost in the first round. Same thing with the seventy eight Dolphins. So, um, I think just that element where that eight game stretch, it was something new every single week. It was a bigger. It felt like it was a bigger game every single week and you know the element that nothing stays the same in this league we don't we've never seen injuries like we've seen this year um across the board not just in the nfc north with rogers but just really across the entire league and it really shows you that this is a league that if you're the last man standing regardless of how bad some of the games have been um not necessarily the vikings games but just you know other games in the nfl um being able to withstand all of that I think withstanding injuries bouncing back from injuries the way that they you know nobody expected this run game to be able to pick up where Delvin Cook left off and look where they're at nobody expected Sam Bradford to to go down after that prolific performance kind of that little tease that he threw in there and then Case Keenum pick up the pieces where they left He left off. I mean, and it's kind of it's a cool element of surprise because you see those wins stockpile and what they do for this team and and where they're at right now. They they like having something to play for in week seventeen. I think it honestly, if we're talking, you know, what this does for them, the first round by. I mean, this gives them something to you know. You don't want to lay an egg, even if the first round by was locked up. You don't want to lay an egg in this game, um, because I just think that that's bad momentum oh, to carry yes, into. Sure. 2018.
1: Or just opening the door at all to lose that spot. Absolutely. I mean, it would be catastrophic if they lost that spot because they do need uh, to get healthy. So your favorite moment is all of them?
0: I mean, if, if we're talking a game, I already, you know, I already said the Rams moment. I think yeah. that beating, yeah. you know, holding that, that to me was, for me, that solidified them becoming a legit Super Bowl contender, mm-hmm. not just, oh, we'll throw them in the mix because they're, you know, they'd had two losses at that point and, you know, great. Like I think that holding the league's most prolific scoring offense to seven points on your home turf, not only solidified how good of a home field advantage they have and why the first round bye means so much. Um, but playing like a super bowl defense.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was going to start singing, uh, good riddance by green Bay behind your reflection there. Um, not Green Bay, Green Bay. Green Day. Day. I do football all the time. Give me a break. You know, right? Mm-hmm. That every high school graduation, for whatever reason, has. And that, that song's song. not even like
0: supposed to be an emotional. It's basically a giant screw you. Right. Like, that's the premise of that song. It's not about like oh, let's well, friends forever. Let's all hug each other. It's not about that and living memories. The song is about like they hate the person that they're talking about in that song.
1: So when I was graduating high school, there was like a big banquet that you had before graduation. I don't know if you did that and our class president gave a speech and then quoted that song at the end and i had the same exact reaction like excuse me <laughs> like what why are you why are you doing this but then again my little brother's class saying uh, don't stop believing which is uh, you know journey, journey and yeah. it's like you guys know that the first verse is like meeting a random person on a train like right i mean train going
0: to, to, nowhere. to nowhere
1: which is actually <laughs> ironic because of our school and where we were located and the success rate of people there but like do you guys know <laughs> that you're self owning right now like hey you might work on a farm or a gas station your whole life but don't stop believing like so okay, are you saying awkward.
0: that the Vikings season-ending end vi- season ending video, whenever the season ends, is going to have the music from Vitamin C's graduation <laughs> playing behind it as Adam Thielen goes around and gives Case Keenum a hug, and you see the offensive lineman doing that arm-locking or defensive lineman doing that arm-locking thing that they do after they get a big tackle? Is that that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. I'll edit it for him. I'd be happy to.
1: <laughs> um, anyway, moving on from that. Uh, I don't know if we have a theme song for this team yet for their season-ending video. That's that's perfect, but we'll have to we'll have to think about it. Uh, well, uh, maybe if it would be like a Rocky theme if they won in Philadelphia to go to the Super Bowl or something. Um, God,
0: those those uh, I can already see the bad leads.
1: Oh yeah! Please oh yeah. don't
0: put that out there. <laughs> just hope for just hope <laughs> for something other than that in a divisional round with Philadelphia. They lose, so we don't have to potentially talk about so-and-so marching the teams up the step of the whatever it was. And there's going to be Case Keenum-Rocky
1: Balboa connections there. The, you know, the underdog. If only he was left-handed. Uh, <laughs> the, the two things for me for this 2017 season that stick out, and there's, there's a bunch of them. Um, one is all the fun that we've had arguing with people, and I really mean this. Like, there are some reporters or some radio hosts who do not like when you disagree with them, I am not one of them. I enjoy the tweets, uh, mostly the comments, unless it gets a little personal. Sometimes in the comment section, I'll take a look at what people are saying on my articles, and I really enjoy the conversations that we have from week to week to week. And this quarterback situation has ramped that up to eleven, and it's been lots of fun. I would also say uh, Teddy Bridgewater coming back onto the field and having sixty thousand people cheering his name at once, including Case Keenum, including the players, and to talk to the players after the game about the emotional impact of seeing that and being there at that moment uh, because of all that he went through, that was something very, very unique for this season. And when he went down, the day he went down, it appeared that he was never going to play in the NFL again, that he was never going to step out there. I don't know if he'll be a franchise quarterback again. I don't know if he'll be a great player again. Or if he will, I don't know. But I think we all thought this guy may never play again, and here he is on the field. That is incredible, and kind of a "you're never going to see it again" type of thing with that sort of injury. That's a career ender.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's no overstating like how important that moment was to this franchise after 15, 16 months, however long it was, since he went down on August 30th, 2016. That was an emotional moment. Um, and, and, in the, and in the big picture, you hope that that's the moment that starts many more for Teddy Bridgewater, um, being able to get in in more than just garbage time and, and to do big things because his career left off at a place where you know, he was one of the rising stars in the NFL. But, yeah, I, I certainly think if you're not looking at a team moment, if you're looking at an individual moment for this franchise, that's one that you can't look past. I mean, that is the most indiv- important individual moment.
1: Well, we have enjoyed everyone who uh, listens to the podcast all the time. So uh, we wish you folks a happy holiday, a happy happy uh, new year, and um, we will see what happens in 2018 because there is going to be no shortage of things to podcast about. So thanks, everyone. This view was worth a hike. Right? And it's a good way to stay on top of my health. Yes. I'm Colaguard, a prescription colon cancer screening option for people 45 plus at average risk. Have you screened for colon cancer? Not yet. Don't wait. It's more treatable when caught in early stages. Tell me more. Colaguard is non-invasive and it's used at home. Ask your provider or an online prescriber if Colaguard is right for you or visit colaguard.com I'm in.